0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, Abayomi Ezekawe. Uh, today is Sunday, uh, June 4th, 2023. We are broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We would like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again to yet another edition of the pan-african journal this special worldwide radio broadcast later on in our program we'll be bringing you our regular pan-african newswire report we'll have dispatches on the continuing fighting uh, between the two military structures in the republic of sudan and efforts to end the conflict demonstrations in the kingdom of morocco and casablanca have focused on the rising rate of inflation inside that North African state. The Senegalese government has blocked access to the internet, resulting from the unrest inside the country in West Africa. And the people of Guinea-Bissau, also in West Africa, are voting in elections today. In the entire program, we present our second installment for Black Music Month. We pay tribute to Francois Lombo-Marchetti, uh, better known as Franco. Of the democratic republic of congo in the following segments we listen to a recording of a panel discussion on the lifetimes and contributions of pianist and composer mary lou williams finally we hear an interview with legendary percussionist max roach these and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program stay tuned Uh, we'll take our first uh, segment and pay tribute to Francois uh, Luombo Marchetti, uh, better known as Franco. Uh, he formed the TPOK Jazz Orchestra as early as 1956, although he had been involved in the music business at least three years uh, prior to that. We're going to hear a collection of uh, tunes uh, from 1964 from the TPOK Jazz Orchestra, led uh, by Franco.
2: Mwalonja so, na kolia, na so, no, si wanga, bazakaka, eh, Señorita, yo te na Señorita yo te quiero, de la livana ya le se va yo, yo te quiero, ya ni nada va yo te quiero, a ya le yo, yo te quiero, de la livana ya le se va yo, yo te quiero. Yo Señorita, yo te quiero al canal! ¡Suscríbete al canal! ¡Suscríbete al canal! ¡Suscríbete al Señorita, yo te quiero. Señorita, yo te quiero. Señorita, yo te quiero. Señorita, yo te quiero. Señorita, yo te
3: quiero. Señorita, yo te quiero.
2: On profite là, l'eau a et partout. On va s'aligner pour vous La commis est Simon est né à y a qui Colonel Bangala, on fait qui né mon bongu, y, a bile, y a qui ça ça Colonel Bangala, on vend qui né y a qui oh, Colonel Bangala, on vend né y a kisasa. Oh, Colonel Bangala, on dit à moi que maman, yo Colonel bangala, on bang ici ya yavile Colonel s'a. bangala, on bangui si monene, ya Yatelikant, c'est juvenil Bangala Mon bongu, si mon Yabila, yaki Bangala Mon bongu, si Yabila, yaki Mon néné, y a ville, y a qui Colonel Bangala, mon bon mon néné, y a ville, y a qui Oh, colonel Bangala, mon bon mon néné, y a délicat ce juvénile.
5: Colonel
3: Bangala, mon bon petit mon néné, y
2: a ville. Dès que le jour paraît, tout le cerveau Kamwa teo lelo na lo la chi viva vivi ndongo lelo yo kiso boya nie e komina mishwa batunga e ya uye mokili makalamba na dia na maina lelo na komi yo disanga telona komi mapem mokolo wana yali wana koma kindeza koma. La Coca Mwa Teo, lelo na lo dieta like viva viva dio dio. Lelo yodi to boyanie, e kwa mi na mishwa ya uye. Mokili makala mba, na dio na maina ko mi sio ni mabem mokolo wana yali wana kwa makindenda komba. Na longuivi vivi mama Na komia lobe Eric Mbese Ga na programo ateo le o nalo vivi ki viva viva. Je ah, dis que je suis un peu
3: plus
2: de Le cerveau s'envole. Bon, bah, ma bébé, m'y a boyo. l'olendo. Eso
3: mique, solo ya lo
2: Na meka ki mama, na kanisa, kiteyo koko sangaidiyo. Si koyonga na moniye no kyo lobi balobi nangaye. Na lingina yeba, badalelo yo, oza lise wangamote. Hola, linguiteo, papá y Mama, na kanisa, kiteyo koko sanga yo. Fiko yonga damoniye, no kyo lobi balobi nangaye. Nalingi na yeba, badale yo ozali sewanga Di malu na lingiteo bapa kola gay boruba di malu na linga ya na boy na gakoyoka sangi sangi Yabato i na going to go to
3: the
2: You can't go away, you'll be here. You'll be
3: I'm be It's a good idea for the good of the good.
2: I Todo mundo escucha mi chata, amigo para voy la
3: todo fundo mundo mi Oh, okay.
2: I am going to telegram I am gonna Confiance na pe ata banga te bolingo let Bibolingo I am gonna on a bilogna to plan plan bolingo sapio kufeli la via
1: Tu reconnais?
2: Oyebilingala Moi, t'es pas. J'ai lingala t'es. Ah, allez, viens, on va prendre un verre. Allez. Moi, bois pas. Tu bois beaucoup. <rire> <tant song> ah, ah les polis. Moi, comprends pas français. Ah, ah Brazzaville. Moi, comprends pas français. Ah, ah il en me
3: palengala
2: a di Touba beaucoup et touba beaucoup, touba beaucoup et beaucoup. Tu oh naebe lingala te oh lingala te. Tu comprends jusqu'à vis-à-vis beaucoup, beaucoup et Tu comprends pas Lingala
3: terre, lingala terre. Tu à y lancer, tu Teresina de mi
2: Da, da, da,
3: da. up uh-huh.
2: Essa moción la vida del mi essa Esta la vida de Moisés. Esta moción la vida por essa Esta moción la vida de la vida alegria. vida i mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Kinga Bandeko Bafita Kinga Bandeko Pomboya do Bumba da Lobac Bobutua de Mimalo Vina Loba Manhã Kinga Bandeko Balinga kinalela do Mumba Té Lumba pour Felipe Mokutu atiye, pero nacional. Pase kachinga, amanteko. La puma kin deko tango, pa si yo na matefo, oho yo nacionali. Mokutu La kima kin
3: dako
2: Malinga qui n'a l'obata, l'homme battait, c'est l'eau la vérité, au
3: rien que la vérité Mon boudo à Kitani do Mumba
2: Dinga bande ku. Babiki dinga na robate. Kokuto atini alupida lupau.
3: kinda kuna nga bande ku.
2: Bali ngate nalopatalumumba la verite
3: O mabu tu la base la O mabu tu la base la Epona Mika, Elongi ya Mabutu,
2: Mbeni lokola Elongi ya Lumumba.
3: Oh Lumumba, Mabuta zangisi komba yona Kongo Ma komisi ko yomba imi ya Bobo
2: Tumba, ma nationalisation ba se peli,
3: Nouvombazi monument nakete ya Kongo
2: Oh 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 Sanga
3: den kaka gikanai go mo
2: Sanga to ka go go Sanga e kala ma Wo balan dara nga kaniso te go Lokola e binga inten Sanga deni bomona motema go Wo tsana dentro shafi Bitomasio
3: go go Baloka o go
2: Mets à canté vapeur, falo kaoro, pisamati au robo, o, isuma I'm a man, 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 o, a man,
3: i am a man i am a man
2: na kati hapongi ma ye badi kole kangay na mitoye, ma owe kangigay Pa alo singa pe yo Ya ka pusi mambe, sakali kali giga kaka mama dipala bala na yo, patonyon sopaye vitoli galiye I'm mama. Chicote kanaga chica le yo nasando, como lo se batapato na tango, olomina gana chica, na chica, la zima kiyosa madamo, sango gana talaki to me le baki nayako sale pay na yo, la salaki mosala na madamo, sukaya sanda uka pikayba so. Baki in a yo salepaina yo La sala que vosala na balamo Sukaya ya sanza uka iga ibasa La sala que cochan kanagashi kare yo na se Todo lo selvasa paso na santo Oro kanatika na shika landimake yo na balamo Yo ko kota kangai million veo ka saka kangai baretaru
3: La vie ya tango yon patonangai,
2: Kali Samoti na bazango. Tango nasala chicoteca si caneti, na sua cabeya na boco lo Yoko nyoko longay, Yo koñako longa yomawate. Yo ko niyo kolonga yon bawa Yo ko punta kanga di pero kata kanga yi bawe
3: La ville tango nio patron
2: angay, kalisa moasena ba na bawa
3: Tikanejo, la zaga na poco loco
2: Yo con yo yo mawate, yo La vie à Tango yo passe en gai, carissa moi c'est mawa.
3: Tango na zalan chikote ka sikale
2: yo na zaka meya na
1: Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, a tribute uh, to Francois Luambo Marchetti, uh, better known as uh, Franco, a legendary uh, Pan-African musician, uh, writer, composer, arranger, and uh, public figure. Uh, Francois Luambo Luanzo Marchetti uh, was born on July the 6th, 1938. Uh, he made his transition on October the 12th of 1989 at the age of 51. Uh, He was a uh, Congolese-born musician. He was a major figure in the 20th century Congolese music and African music in general, uh, principally as the leader for over 30 years of the TPOK Jazz Band or TPOK Jazz Orchestra, the most popular and significant African band of its time. He is referred to as Franco Luambo or simply as Franco, known for his mastery of African rumba, uh, He was nicknamed by fans and critics Sorcerer of the Guitar and the Grand Matir, as well as Franco de Mi Amor uh, by many women fans. Uh, his most known hit, Mario, sold more than 200,000 copies and was certified as gold. Franco was born on July 6th of 1938 in his mother's hometown of Sonabata in what was then the Belgian Congo. He grew up in the capital city, Leopoldville, now uh, Kinshasa. When his father, a railroad worker, died in 1949, he ended his formal education at the age of 10 and helped his mother by playing a homemade guitar, harmonica, and other instruments to attract customers to her market stall in uh, the former Belgian Congo capital of Leopoldville's in in Gary, in Gary neighborhood. He also honed uh, his guitar playing by working with Paul Dewayon, Ibango, a, a slightly older friend who had a real guitar. In 1950, Franco then at the age of 12, Dewayon, uh, who was four years older at 16, and others formed a group called Watam, which played together for three years, playing weddings and funerals. And with the help of a mentor of Franco's, the established musician Albert Luampasi, recording a few songs on the N'Goma record label. In 1953, Franco and Dua Young auditioned for musician and producer Andre Bowani, then with Leopold Ville's Luling Giza record label and studio, uh, who hired both as studio musicians. Franco released at least three records in 1953 with Wattam on uh, Lodingisa, on which he was credited as the Francois. Also in 1953, Franco released on Lodingisa his first solo record, uh, Bolingo na Ngai na Beatrice, My Love for Beatrice, which made uh, Franco a local celebrity in Kinshasa, uh, Boani is also said to have given the young musician his lifelong name of uh, Franco in 1955. Franco was among a loose group of Leopoldville musicians that began working together under the auspices of the Loningisa studio. The group was known as Bana Loningisa, Children of Loningisa. In 1956, an original founding core of six of those musicians, with Franco as the sole guitarist, agreed to accept a regular paid gig at the OK Bar, named after its owner, Oscar Kashamba. A few weeks later, uh, needing a name for a contract, the band used OK Jazz uh, from the place it had been begun. It has also been said that OK stood for Orchestra Kinoe, or the Band of Kinshasa, and they were baptized under that name. And at a June 6, 1956 show at the OK Bar. Uh, while clarinetist uh, Jean-Zergé Isous was the original leader of OK Jazz, Franco was a prolific songwriter. Isous called him a kind of genius for having written over 100 songs in his notebooks at the time. OK Jazz quickly became a rival to the leading established local band of that time, the African Jazz Band, under the direction of Joseph uh, in December of 1956, after some personnel changes, the new and short-lived lineup of OK Jazz released a rumba written by Franco that would become the band's motto on Entree OK, on Sort KO. In 1957, OK Jazz lost its leader, Isus, as well as its original vocalist, Philippe Rossino landau uh, when they were hired away by Bowani. For his new record label in single, Wani had left Lonengisa after being outshone there by OK Jazz. While vocalist Vicky Long Gumba uh, became the band's new leader, Franco also stepped up in 1958. After OK Jazz returned to Leopoldville after a year in Brazzaville, uh, Franco was arrested in jail for motoring offenses. Upon his release, he regained and reinforced his local reputation as the sorcerer of the guitar. His guitar technique was so influential that by the end of the 1950s and for years afterwards, Congolese guitars were divided into two camps, one led by Franco and the other led uh, by Dr. Nico of the Joseph Cabaselli's African Jazz. Through the 1960s, uh, where the music we just heard was recorded, uh, Franco and OK Jazz toured regularly and recorded prolifically. By 1967, Franco was the co-leader of the band with vocalist Vicky. When Vicky left in 1970, Franco became the sole leader of the TPOK Jazz Orchestra. And uh, that was a tribute uh, to uh, Franco, uh, Francois Luombo Machete, uh, here at, in the month of June uh, 2023 for our Black Music Month commemoration And uh, right now we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of our program. And these are some of the headlines uh, in today's uh, Pan-African Newswire. Our lead story deals with the current situation involving the security crisis in the Republic of Sudan. Saudi Arabia and the United States have both urged uh, Sudan's warring parties earlier today to agree to and effectively implement a new ceasefire as fighting showed no signs of abating in the northeastern African nation. Sudan descended into chaos after fighting broke out in mid-April between the military, led by General Abdel Fattah Berhan, and the paramilitary rapid support forces commanded by General Mohammed Hamdan Degallo. For weeks, uh, Saudi Arabia and the United States have been mediating between the warring parties On May the 21st, both countries successfully brokered a temporary ceasefire agreement to help with the delivery of much-needed humanitarian aid to the war-torn country. Their efforts, however, were dealt a blow when the military announced, just this last past Wednesday, it would no longer participate in the ceasefire talks held in the Saudi coastal city of Jeddah. Following the military decision, the U.S. and Saudi Arabia said they were suspending the talks as a result of the repeated serious violations of the short-term ceasefire. President Joe Biden's administration imposed sanctions against key Sudanese defense companies run by the military and uh, the rapid support forces and people who, quote, perpetuate violence, unquote, in Sudan. In their statement uh, earlier today, Washington and Riyadh said they continue to engage representatives of the military and the RSF who remained in Jeddah. There is the Sudanese warring sides to agree to and implement a new ceasefire following the latest one, which expired uh, late uh, yesterday. The aim is to eventually establish a permanent ceasefire of hostilities in the war-wrecked country, according uh, to Riyadh and Washington. And uh, also in regard to the situation in Sudan, the Sudanese ambassador to the United Nations emphasized uh, the country's refusal to allow Volker Perthes to continue heading the United Nations transitional mission in Sudan, uh, following a request by the military-led government for his replacement. On June 2nd, Security Council extended the U.N. Integrated Transition Assistance Assistance Mission mandate in Sudan, known as UNIAMS, for an additional six months until December 3rd. However, the council remained silent on Perthes' status despite reports suggesting the United Nations Secretary General supported his continuation. In an interview uh, with the Al Jazeera television network yesterday, Sudan's ambassador to the United Nations, al Idris, stated that the establishment and termination of, political mission, of the political mission guided by the non-legally binding force, of chapter six of the u.n charter is solely the sovereign right of the host country quote the security council cannot impose an envoy on sudan the united nations is founded on the principle of respecting the national sovereignty of member states furthermore the agreement between the government of sudan and the united nations regarding uni TAMS establishment emphasizes the ownership and sovereignty of the sudanese state along with the supremacy of its local laws, the ambassador said. He went on to emphasize, quote, I therefore believe that the decision to retain Volker Perthes as the head of the mission after the Sudanese government's request for his replacement should be considered a sovereign decision made by the host country. And in other news, uh, in North Africa, several thousand people from Morocco's trade union movement denounced the high cost of living and government in action uh, in a demonstration that took place earlier today in Casablanca in the western uh, part of Morocco. Now, despite the, the ban on the demonstrations, people did come out. Coming, for, coming from all over the country, trade unionists from the left-wing confederation, democratic confederation of workers, gathered in the historic center of the economic capital. We're here to voice our discontent at soaring prices and attacks on purchasing power, explained Abdelah Lakburi, a CBT member who traveled from Agadir in the south of Morocco to Casablanca, and he told this to the international press. They went on to say that it's a disgrace. Workers' livelihoods are in danger. Protests the demonstrators, almost all dressed in yellow, chasse blues, armbands and caps, the union's colors. How can the poorest people live? With soaring food prices, they shouted. Initially, uh, the Democratic Confederation of Workers wanted to organize a national march in Casablanca, but the parade was banned by local authorities. Tariq Aloui L. Husseini, a member of the CDT National Council, told this to the international media. media. We stuck to a sit-in, he explained. The rally took place with a major incident, with only a few jostles with the police, according to the international correspondents on the scene. Morocco, like much of the capitalist world, is faced uh, with soaring prices, particularly the food products which are affecting the most modest household. Inflation slowed slightly uh, in April to 7.8% year-on-year, after 10.1% in February and 8.2% in March, according to official statistics but the rise in food prices remain very high, 16.3% year-on-year year in regard to the rate of inflation related to food prices. You're listening uh, to uh, the Pan-African news Watch segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. In the West African state of Senegal, the government has temporarily suspended mobile phone data earlier today as the country reels from days of deadly clashes. Between the police and supporters of opposition leader Usman Sanko, the Ministry of Communication, Telecommunications, and Digital Economy said that because of the diffusion of subversive messages in a context of public disorder in certain localities, cell phone internet data would be suspended during certain time periods. The statement comes after days of deadly clashes throughout the West African nation between Sanko's supporters and the security forces. The official death is untold. is unclear. The government says that 15 people, including two members of the security forces, have been killed, while the opposition says 19 people altogether have died. The clashes uh, first erupted on Thursday after Sonko was convicted of corrupting youth but acquitted on charges of raping a woman who worked at a massage parlor and making death threats against her. Sonko, who didn't attend his trial in Dakar, was sentenced to two years in prison. His lawyer said that a warrant hadn't yet been issued for his arrest. And uh, finally, uh, in neighboring Guinea-Bissau, the people voted uh, today in a highly anticipated election to fill Guinea-Bissau's national legislature more than a year after the West African nation president dissolved parliament. Nearly one million voters were registered to elect more than 100 lawmakers from six parties with active seats in the National People's Assembly, according to the Center for Democracy and Development, an African human rights organization. Guinea-Bissau is a small nation that gained independence from Portugal uh, nearly five decades ago. The country has endured continued political turmoil, including multiple coups, since uh, its independence in 1974. President Umaro Sissoko Mbalo, a former army general, took office after he was declared the winner of a December 2019 runoff election. He survived a February 2022 coup d'etat attempt when assailants armed with machine guns and AK-47s attacked the government palace. Since uh, assuming office, Mbalo has cracked down on civic freedoms, while government bodies have lost significant independence. According to analysts, Parliament in May of 2022 and postponed the legislative election scheduled for the following December. Lucia Bird Ruiz Benitez de Luga, a director of the West African Observatory at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime, said that Mbalo has consolidated his grip on power since his controversial inauguration in February of 2020. These elections are key in determining how much support the ruling party retains in parliament, uh, she said. They will shape how isolated or otherwise the president, who has strained relations with the powerful military, will be during the remaining 18 months of his tenure. Uh, Polls open early uh, today with more than 3,500 voting stations expected in the country and the diaspora. This is the country's seventh legislative elections since opening a multi-party system nearly three uh, decades ago and with that we are going to conclude uh, the pan-african newswire segment of uh, the pan-african journal and it's including uh, this segment of our program we would like to remind our listeners that the pan-african newswire is an international electronic press service it is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since that time, it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in hundreds of newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan African and Global Affairs, and if you'd like to log on to uh, the Pan African Newswire, you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day. Just go uh, to our website uh, at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com, and uh, if you would like to uh, have access to this program the Pan-African Journal special worldwide radio broadcast for Sunday, uh, June 4th uh, 2023. Just go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network and that's at uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week.
5: We're going to stand around this town And let what others say come true We're just good for nothing They all figure A boyish grown-up shiftless chicken Now we can't hardly stand for that Or is that really where it's at? We people Who are darker than blue this ain't no time for segregating. I'm talking about brown and yellow too. Hi yellow girl, can you tell? You're just the surface of a dark deep well. If you're mine. And let whatever say come true. We're just good for nothing. They all figure a boy's grown up, shitless jigger. Now we can't hardly stand for that. Or is that really where it's at? Pardon me, brother. While you stand. Let us not be so satisfied, for tomorrow can be up and even bright
1: again. Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, the sound of the legendary Curtis Mayfield from his first uh, solo album entitled Curtis that was released in 1970. And you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Sunday, June 4th, uh, 2023. And we're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. June is Black Music Month, and we're going to continue our programming with this special uh, panel discussion on uh, the business of jazz. In discussion about the legendary jazz pianist, uh, writer and composer, Mary Lou Williamson. Mary Lou Williams, and of course Mary Lou williams um, played with some of the greatest uh, jazz musicians of the twentieth century. She was a personality cultural personality in her own right uh, Let's listen to this uh, panel discussion on Mary Lou Williams here at the pan African journal special worldwide uh, radio broadcast.
3: Thank mm-hmm. you.
6: Good evening. My name is Kim Motz. I'm the program manager of the Performance Plus
0: program. And on behalf of the Kennedy Center, I'd like to welcome you to the Mary Lou Williams Women in Jazz Festivals panel, the musical artistry of Mary Lou Williams. We're delighted to have with us this evening Valerie Capers, musician and leader of the Valerie Capers Trio, which is performing Saturday night. Father Peter O'Brien, executive director of the Mary Lou Williams Foundation and former manager of Mary Lou Williams and Dr. Billy Taylor, musician and Kennedy Center artistic advisor for jazz. Please welcome our panel. What I thought, I would introduce these tunes very briefly like a radio host, and the two musicians, the people who know about the music from the inside will comment musically on it. We're gonna hear two things, both solo piano. One um, recorded in 1977, the standard, Vernon Duke's I Can't Get Started with lyrics by Ira Gershwin, but Mary Lou doesn't sing. So just piano, and this was played after uh, she faced Cecil Taylor for two hours on the Carnegie Hall stage. And there's something very lifting about It's a little different from the way she ordinarily played. And we're gonna segue immediately into her very first solo piano recording in 1930. So 1977, 1930, I Can't Get Started, and Nightlife. we 47 years back now,
3: first record in 1930.
4: Uh, those two examples, I think, are really extraordinary to start with. Um, Duke once said that uh, uh, Mary Lou was just timeless in the way she played. Uh, there's 47 years between those two musical examples, and you hear what she did the last uh, one we just heard, listened to in uh, 1930. Here was a woman who grew up, as she said, listening to Fats listen to Waller and uh, uh, J.P. Johnson or Jelly Roll Morton. Had a complete, not only technically, but spiritually, emotionally, a complete concept of what she was doing, mastered it and played the hell out of it. And then uh, you see there in 77, one of the other great things about, I think, Mary Lou's playing is that she really loved the piano and she had an enormous concept of how to use the piano. She was powerful in the playing, but she understood about what an orchestra the piano really is uh, and how she dealt with, as we heard, and I can't get started the pedal sonorities and the way she would work with the arpeggios and and the harmonic colors. She really understood how to make the keyboard sound, and um, it's wonderful, I think.
7: Unquestionably. Uh, I was interested in the uh, second one for several reasons. First of all, she told me uh, that uh, she had played for Jelly Roll Morton when she was a very young girl. (laughs) And he really slapped her down, and he slapped everybody (laughs) down. He said, uh, you young players don't know what to do with breaks. And so as you could hear in that first record, she figured out what to do with a break. And so she had, uh, and she all, uh, for the rest of her life, she was very, that was something that really stung her. She really was very upset when he told her that, and she really, uh, 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 when she wrote breaks for bands or anything, I mean, she was very careful, she made sure that it, it, it rhythmically and harmonically did whatever it was she was trying to say. Uh, the second one really fascinated me because uh, when I first heard, heard Earl Garner, he sounded just like that. And, and he uh, had obviously been highly influenced by uh, um, uh, Mary Lou because he'd come from Pittsburgh and he'd grown up. He was a kid when she was playing uh, with Andy Kirk and other bands. And, uh, He had listened to her, although he never said uh, as much. Uh, Obviously, he listened to that. Uh, uh, Those are many of the devices that he used. And uh, uh, she had been using, hearing her do it there, I heard her do it uh, uh, for many years. She played uh, that particular tune in a way not that different from uh, what we heard on record. Uh, um, In a show in 19, it must have been about 1945 Something like that, called Blue Holiday, and she played a solo piano. And uh, I was in the pit band. and Every night, she would get a hand like that in a ballad, and I thought that was just remarkable. I mean, because you know, if you're playing something exciting, that's 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 one thing. But she would play something, and then she'd just strike a chord or a note uh, uh, within people that were in her audience, and they'd respond, they'd applaud. Yeah, right. You know, she was a, a remarkable pianist.
0: Uh, you also mentioned Andy Kirk, which leads us into the next uh, two selections. Uh, Mary Lou joined, uh, well, exp- uh, speaking of exciting things, they had a pianist, Andy Kirk had a pianist named Marian Jackson, a man, who uh, sometimes got lost, you know, here and there. And um, they'd sent Mary Lou to play something exciting like Froggy Bottom or a Boogie Woogie, and it was on a record date in Chicago right around this time when you heard Nightlife that the guy didn't show up and... John her husband said my wife plays a little piano and from that point on and several other things like that she got to be the um, resident pianist with Andy Kirk. We're going to hear two of the things she wrote for him and recorded in 1936 and one in 1938. First is Walkin' and Swingin' which is the one she most often referred to and there was a television show called Swingin' the Blues and Billy Taylor was a commentator and a guest in the middle and he played a chorus of that and also Twinklin' which is a uh, piano feature for her so we hear two Andy Kirk things both by Mary Lou Williams and she's at the piano we play together, nice and full Two years later this is called Twinklin'
7: that uh, um, is to be um, a very important part of Charlie Parker's uh, style, that of going up a half step uh, and sort of creating some tension. And she does, does it in the melody uh, of, of that tone. And uh, 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 she does all of the writing uh, is like uh, the scoring of a, a solo. She just exactly. wrote out a solo. If I was going to play solo, I'd play this. And so she gave it to all of the uh, uh, other instruments. And it's interesting how she employs the Kansas City call and response, and and all of those things too. Eight bars of this, and she puts it all together as a nice package.
4: And in that first one, what's so interesting about what Billy is saying, I realize I'm the only one up here who never had the privilege of meeting or working with her here, mm-hmm. uh, but when you're talking about that first selection also, knowing later, for example, of her uh, close, you might have noticed this, Billy of her close relationship with a, a monk True. and so forth and so on. When this uh, first tune, Walking and Swinging, um, uh, modulates from A to F, she mm-hmm. has a lick in there that... Bum, 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 yeah, no, Monk just turned it around yeah. a little late, a few years pare- later, and it became rhythming, you know. Yeah. So it, there it was, right there, you know, yeah. there it was right there. And uh, in the second one, Billy, how did you feel about this? I noticed that. Um, you know, when we think about that time in the 30s and the 40s when Father Hines used to talk about the fact that he wanted to extend his playing to make his right hand sound like an instrument. He talked about Louis Armstrong and the trumpet and all. Um, uh, Mary Lou, he was playing wonderful single lines with the right hand. The thing I found, though, about her lines is that they were always with a, such a sense of Pianism, you know, the, the, the piano and really uh, the, the lines were, I, I felt, always very pianistic, very keyboard, very, very suitable to the instrument, to the sound somehow.
7: Well, she had, uh, by that time, uh, absorbed uh, much of what Earl Hines had done. And yes. Is, uh, uh, you can hear the same kind of influence in uh, Hines' influence in all of the things that we've played so far, mm-hmm. uh, where he's playing, uh, uh, she's using octaves.
3: Yes. And she, yes.
7: Uses, she uses those in just the way you're talking about yes. Instead of sounding like someone playing a, a very large, with a hand fully opening, playing something long, she's doing it very easily, and, and as though she's doing it with a single finger. Right. So, so the phrase, as you, as you point out, is very pianistic. Yeah.
0: Gary Giddens thought that she had conservatory training, and she said, indeed not. <laughs> <laughs> matter of fact, never had a lesson in her life. I think maybe later on, listen to somebody, but uh, he thought that because of the way she uh, touched the keys. Yeah, she had a great touch. And time. Um, mm-hmm. she said, hug the keys to a student. She played with her hands very flat. So they just ripple across and they're very smooth.
7: She and Art Tatum were the only two people I've heard make the piano sound that way and play, uh, playing with, with the finger flat. It's hard to do because you don't, you don't have the leverage if, if your hand is... is, is uh, if your knuckles are bent and, you, and you're doing this, you have that leverage. Yeah. If you don't, you're playing flat. It's harder.
4: Yeah, sometimes you can use the flat hand for certain effects. I know sure. sometimes in impressionistic music you can, but sure. not as a general thing. You're right. It's yeah. not um, the basic. Huh?
0: She liked that second chorus too. <clears throat> she only had uh, three reeds and she heard four notes. Andy Kirk said you can't do that. Put a six <laughs> in the chorus against the rules. And she said, well, that's what I hear. So she put a trumpet in the hat. Yeah. And uh, she liked that. She always re- referred to that chorus the second time through the tune. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah, she was, she was
7: uh, in turn, as, a, as an arranger, she was uh, doing things that uh, uh, Benny Carter and, and uh, Don Redmond were pioneering. And she took
0: things that she heard them do and did it from another point of view. Mm-hmm. She was very crazy about Don Redmond. Yeah. Matter of fact, toward the end of her life, when she couldn't play anymore and was bedridden, uh, she was writing an arrangement of uh, Gee, Baby, Ain't I Good To You? So she was Great going film. back to the beginning Great and, and kind of pulling it back <laughs> This next thing is uh, from 1945 and uh, the year that uh, Billy referred to, when uh, Billy was in the pit band and Mary on the stage in Blue Holiday. That same year she recorded the Zodiac Suite for Mo Ash at Folkways Records. Um, The first incarnation was uh, one a week on her radio show on WNEW called the Marilyn Williams Piano Workshop. The second incarnation of the suite was in the uh, recording studio for Folkways. And uh, tonight we will hear uh, an alternate take. I think uh, Moash issued the first thing he got. You know, he got that first cookie, you know, that first round disc. That's what he put out. This is um, better, I think. And this was put on the new CD by Smithsonian Folkways in the primary spot. So this is Virgo, and it has a terrific spooling up and down in it. So Virgo, very short, two and a half minutes. So listen. My sign.
3: Thank <laughs> <laughs>
7: that uh, many pianists of that time were wrestling with, including me. Uh, and that's uh, wanting to play bebop lines, but not wanting to relinquish uh, the pianistic aspects of the left hand. And so it, it, uh, until we figured it out, it was a dichotomy <laughs> between the, the rhythmic aspect of what you're doing in the left hand and, and what you were doing uh, in the right hand. So essentially you're playing two styles from, from
4: That's one of the things I found interesting about it. It's 1945 and uh, you smile because you, just as Billy said, you you feel, you you can hear that she's, uh, you know, um, moving toward breaking out. Uh, from the confines of uh, rhythmic, rhythmic and melodic lines, harmonies, even form to some degree. And yet, uh, when she did start to improvise, you felt when the bass was moving, you were still a bit anchored to the old traditions of rhythm. So you, you hadn't quite broken away yet, you know. But you can hear, you can actually hear what's coming in three, four, five years. And it's very, very interesting.
7: Well, both of, both of those uh, musicians, Jack the Bear and Al Lucas, were uh, out of the swing era, yes. and so they were, they were doing the kind of thing that they had done with all kinds all of swing lives. groups and pre-bop yeah. groups and so forth, <laughs> and so she was, she was stuck with that, <laughs> that, that feeling even though she was trying to do something else.
4: But you can hear, you know, yeah. right, you can just hear what, what's happening and where it's all going to eventually go. It's, it, that's what makes, I think, this, this competition quite interesting to, to the, you. Know.
7: The thing that that interested me in her playing during that period, uh, she played at Cafe Society a lot uh... downtown in Britain, the village and joe jones would come down sometimes and sit in with her and also um... Uh, what's his name, the drummer from uh... uh... detroit uh... wonderful drummer uh, oh yeah i know uh, who you mean. Uh, he played with teddy Wilson, played yes, with Logic, yes, a lot of yes, good. Yes. Oh. anyway i'll think of his name in a minute and any rate he like joe jones uh... was had a much more flexible rhythm and he would do things that uh... allowed her to do things like this uh, uh, a little more in the context of what uh, was going to become the Vogue uh, with Dizzy and
0: bird. Right. Right. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, we'll move two uh, years ahead to 1947, and this is an all-women group. And um, nobody knew this existed. I think Bridget O'Flynn, the drummer, had these acetates at home, because these two sides of what one that we're going to hear. Just an idea is a reworking of a thing called Mary's idea, which he first recorded in 1930 with Andy Kirk, and then in 1938 with Andy Kirk, and then in 1948 Benny Goodman recorded trying to play Bob. <laughs> Anyhow, um, <laughs> these two—I um, shouldn't have said that. Well, <laughs> but these two, Mary Lou got him playing Bob. She wrote a tune called <laughs> Benny's Bob, and he also recorded just an idea with her and also with Teddy Wilson. So exactly what you were talking about could be listen to and seen where it made it and where it didn't anyhow uh, this is an all women group and um, the origin of the date is unknown I think Miss O'Flynn had the sides in her house because she's credited they were released on what looked like a plastic radio with seven or eight CDs in it from Mercury had mostly rhythm and blues people on it and two Mary Lou Bop things with women and the uh, guitarist is the great Mary Osborne. So this is uh, a little more toward the modern idea, uh, just an idea. See how this sounds.
7: one problem by making, uh, by having the drums recorded so softly <laughs> that uh, you were not even aware it was there until the drum break. But uh, uh, the guitar fascinated me because I didn't realize how much Mary Osmond sounded like John Collins and J- Jimmy Shirley and some of the guitarists who worked with Matt Cole in those days. Uh,
4: what I thought was so interesting about uh, this particular selection um, is Mary um, Mary Lou's concept of the the composition itself um the uh, well she, she has some of that of course now by this time the bebop humor and the uh sort of maybe sometimes unpredictability and the way a cadence may fall but it's interesting that the tune itself is uh uh the head of the tune is a common song form with uh, 32 bars and then uh, when they improvise they improvise over a 12-bar form and it's interesting when the last chorus of the blues when they come out with a uh, unison bebop line if you will and uh, then of course bringing it to the end with the uh, statement of the eight bars again i thought that was rather um, inventive of her you know in putting that composition together that way
3: she had a
0: lot of trouble finding good rhythm people you always did very hard well she was she was very hard
7: on bass players because uh, she wanted uh, Uh, specific things in the bass clef because she wanted to uh, use certain harmonic uh, textures and if you change the bass note you change the chord so so she said play these notes
0: and a lot of guys uh, rejected that and (laughs) would do something else and she'd be furious an inconsistency in work too in other words if uh, when I first met her you were also in the Hickory House off and on. Mm-hmm. You could get long residencies, but not always. And then this bass player, that bass player, you couldn't keep a musician if you didn't get paid very well and couldn't retain somebody. So this was an odd hoc kind of thing, too. Leonard Feather had an idea in 1946, all women.
7: Yeah.
0: And uh, so here you are, stuck, instead of your bass player or something. So I don't know what but that June would sound like with... Um, the,
7: the bass player on here was a good bass player. She had uh, uh well in time because she wasn't playing with uh, a lot of the other guys but she had uh, uh she played the lines yeah. and what what uh, uh mary lou liked about
0: it yeah. she was playing the right bass notes for her chords yeah mary was a composer yes. often she really yeah. had the whole yeah, thing right. in line. this next thing has uh, never been heard by anybody because it was has never been released in 1962 mary uh, re- founded her own company. Mary Records, nobody was recording her, and she wanted to record her own music, and uh, this is a tune she did record in 1954 for a small label in France, Uh, the one thing that, um, oh my goodness, Williams picked for the Smithsonian History of Jazz Piano, it's called Nicole, but this is ten years later in an unreleased uh, version, and uh, Percy Heath is on bass and Tim Kennedy on drums. Could you turn the bass down just a smidgen? It's banging too much. Thanks. Okay. Nice right, volume, though.
7: She of this. We had been working together, uh, opposite one another for a long time. She had, uh, uh, we had worked at the composer, and uh, well, before that we worked at the downbeat, and we worked the opposite one another in the composer. And uh, uh, it was fascinating to listen to uh, the kinds of things she had. So many bass lines that were the whole tune was a bass line. She'd, she'd write a bass line that she'd improvise over, whatever it was, and. Uh, just had dozens of those things. You just, just uh, make them up with on, the, on the spur of the moment. And uh, uh, she always had good bass players. Who could hear that? And do it the second time around, the guy would catch it. And it would, that would be a new tune.
4: God, I wish I'd heard some of that in person. For <laughs> um, B, I'll tell you what knocks me out on this particular selection. Um, it, it doesn't matter whether you're playing a, a Dajia movement from a Beethoven sonata whether you're you're playing a blues of this nature one of the hardest things to do is to play slowly Mm -hmm. and to be able to to have a pacing that holds the music together i mean there are stretches in there where you can just be stripped bare and to be able to to keep the sound going to be able to keep an idea with real feeling and emotion uh uh Uh, you know, continuous and keep a continuity that says something, that means something, that feels something, when you hear it, is not an easy thing to do. And she certainly, she she does it, she does it in this. Uh, It may have a lot to to say, that that may have a lot to say with what she was spiritually and what the blues meant to her, uh, both, both, um, you know, as a pianist and as a creative artist. But being able to hold something like this together this tempo, make it interesting to live, and make it emotionally satisfying, and, and you feel earthy, it's, it's earthy, it's, it's there, uh, I, I think it's a, it's a tremendous thing to be able to do.
0: I like it too. It's beautiful. You um, use, use a perfect word, uh, spiritually. Um, she went through um, maybe a devastating few years in her mid-40s about Six or eight years before this, and right before the period when she began to come back back out again and play opposite you, she liked the composer room very much, by the way. And she told me a story. She said to the guy who owned the place, "Well, if you want me in here, get somebody good opposite me. Get Billy Taylor. <laughs> 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 it should be a challenge."
3: <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, Cy Barron
0: was the guy. Yeah. Right, so she wanted somebody she could inspire her. and um, in vice versa. So really, <laughs> I wish I could. That's the only club she ever said she liked. Yeah. So I loved it in the composer room. Anyway, well, the thing um,
7: about it was for her was that it was a very it was the most intimate club uh, uh, that I remember in New York because Cy Barron and uh, I forget the other guy Willie uh, Shore, his parent, partner, uh, wanted to make that club as different from the Embers as they as they could. The Embers oh. was a very chic and very noisy club, and so they made sure that. Uh, anyone who came there, this was a piano room, this was a room where you came to listen. They didn't make announcements or anything like that. But uh, if you did make noise, they, you, you were escorted out without a check. I mean, you just get out. And and so it was one of the few clubs that I know that, that, that really, uh, they didn't make a big deal out of it. But people like Sinatra and, and Elizabeth Taylor, a lot of stars would come over, and, and they would protect them. You couldn't,
0: you know, people weren't running over looking for autographs or anything. They came in, they listened, they left, you know. Anyway, she went through a very uh, difficult period just before that, which led to a religious conversion, and uh, uh, Valerie used the word spiritual, and uh, she spent a large part of the last 25 or 30 years of her life trying to convince everybody this was spiritual music and uh, people who would think about it in other ways. The next selection is uh, uh, one of the results of her con- religious conversion. This is the, her setting for the Lord's Prayer, the vocalist you will hear appears tonight in Jazzberry Jam, and also the bass player you hear appears tonight in Jazzberry Jam, and they're the same woman. Uh, Carlene Ray plays bass and sings on this. David Amram plays French horn, and Al with drums. It's very beautiful. Mary Lou's uh, setting for the Our Father. At the very end, you'll hear a small snippet with a small chorus. It's one of the Beatitudes.
1: Welcome back. And uh, that was a panel discussion uh, on uh, the lifetimes and contributions artistically of uh, Mary Lou Williams. And uh, you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast. And of course, uh, this is Black Music Month, and uh, we've been doing a series of programs which looks uh, at the contributions of African people on the continent and throughout the diaspora uh, in the field of culture and music. And we'll take a break and uh, we'll be back with our concluding segment of our program. We'll take our break uh, with uh, none other than the legendary Betty Wright. you
3: like a cool
8: drink of water. On a hot summer day, yeah. there was one little kiss, it changed. No, it's not gone win.
1: Thank you, baby. This is the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast for Sunday, uh, June 4th, uh, 2023. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. Our concluding segment features an interview uh, with the legendary percussionist Max Roach uh, that talks about his history and his own theory of uh, musical contributions. Let's listen to this interview uh, by Ben Sedlin uh, with
9: Max Roach. Max Roach. Max, thanks so much for joining us.
10: Well, I personally want to say it's a pleasure to be here with you, Ben, because your knowledge about the music and your interest in the music is really very inspiring to us as musicians. But to give you just a little something about Henry Street Blues, it was uh, it's a piece from a play that I did from a very fine poet-writer, Larry Neal. It was called The... The Monster and the Bell of the Horn, and it really it was a story. It was produced down here at the Henry Street Theater. Uh uh-huh. hence, hence Henry Street Blues, and it was a story about uh, Philadelphia, and it and the character the the uh, the leading character was a composite of Charlie Parker and Clifford Brown. The person was a saxophone player, but he 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 was killed in an automobile accident, for example. As Clifford was, as Clifford was. So, so Henry Street Blues was part of the music for that particular play. Came from that particular play, yeah.
9: One of the things that stood out to me when I first heard Henry Street Blues was the way the drums were used. The, the drums as a lead instrument, but also the drums as a comping instrument.
10: Yeah, I got away from the ride cymbal actually on Henry Street Blues and used the snare, which was. I guess you say a marching beat. Yeah. From that. But it was it was it, it comes out of the uh traditional drumming, say, of uh, baby Dodds in that crowd. Only we update it today, but it was just snare and bass drum mainly in hi hat and once in a while the cymbal. but it's had that kind of feeling behind the the the, the 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 whole piece. And as you know, Henry Street is a busy street down here on the east side in New York City. Uh-huh and uh, where a lot of shops and street vendors and all it has that kind of feeling to it and the theater's on that street and they of course do uh, a great deal of contemporary theater new writers and new artists etc mm-hmm.
3: mm-hmm.
9: there's one point in the track where uh, it breaks down to the bass and the drums and right. the interaction between the two instruments in some way it's very traditional In some ways it's um
10: you no know, it's contemporary yeah, yeah it's contemporary but it comes out of traditional mode when drummers didn't deal as much with the with the ride cymbal and 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 they swung the band on the snare and the bass drum and once in a while the the ride cymbal. Yeah. And okay, I was thinking like that, you know, to get away from the ride and all the pieces, which has become uh, almost rule of thumb today.
9: Of course, you've used a pianolist group for quite some time, and when I refer back to a song like this, it strikes me that the piano is also a percussion instrument. Yes. And there's a kind of a comeback from the drums, the drums being not just a percussion instrument, but a melody percussion instrument as well. So not having a piano on a composition like this not only forces you, but allows you to count more and to play into it.
10: Well, you know, jazz grew out of piano pianolist groups. It came out of marching bands. Yeah. You know, all the old New Orleans bands, there were no pianos on the streets. Piano really became popular in the music I would imagine during the ragtime period, mm-hmm. and then it just took over. Just took over totally, doing Scott Joplin and all those great rag uh, creators, and uh, and it became the instrument. And out of that, in, the instrumentalist horns and things like and drums had to take a complete backseat when the ragtime period uh, uh, flourished. But uh, the other group, says you know Ben, I, I I do use piano. It's just a quartet. I find I like piano with this particular. Uh, instrumental format, say two horns, bass and drums, uh, because it, it afforded me a lot of space and there were two lean lines. I had, I had, uh, we all, there, this, it's like almost Japanese painting. The lines are lean yeah. and very transparent. See, and it's not, it's not, uh, doesn't have that chord thickness that a piano gives to it. But I do use piano, of course, if I say did something with the chorus. Like I recorded with gospel choirs and choruses Mm. and uh, things like that.
9: You mentioned uh, Clifford Brown before. Of course, it would be remiss not to remember the group that you led with Clifford Brown, and that seems to have been the last time you always used a piano player when you went out, which is in the late 50s. Right. Was is there some reason that that was the group where you, at that point, tended to move on away from the piano, the piano player in that group? Uh, being Richie Powell.
10: Well, you know, when, when, when Clifford and Richie uh, were taken away from us in that, that awful uh, accident, that unfortunate uh, accident that happened, you know, the group travel, we accepted. We, we had been booked beyond that, of course. So I honored uh, some of those jobs as much as I could of course, it was, it was a traumatic and emotional uh, experience for me. I mean, I was really in Never Never Land for quite a while. So we, Sonny Rollins and George Mara and myself as a trio, honored some of the things that we had been committed without Brownie and uh, Richard. And I guess that might have been the beginning of what I began to hear out of that, out of that tragedy as we did, as we as we worked these trio things, and it was almost like an in memorial to the two to these two very wonderful musicians. As we um, played a few, honored a few of the jobs that we had committed ourselves to without them, without Clifford yeah. and them, uh, Sonny and George and myself, we both began to adapt to just that sound and try to f- to compensate for the fact that the piano and the trumpet wasn't there. And I began to hear something else, and so did Sonny. And out of that, of course, Sonny did his first Freedom Suite with Oscar Pettiford and myself.
9: Speak for a moment, if you will, about the tuning of the drum and how you approach that.
10: Well, the way I deal with the the set is I treat it as an instrument of indeterminate pitch. I usually tune to the size. The larger drums at the bottom, the next largest would be between that and the smaller drums. I don't tune, say, for fifths or fourths or thirds or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I recognize the fact that the instrument itself is of indeterminate pitch. I know that the best drummers know how to beat the instrument into the key that the music is being played in at that particular time. And one person especially who stands out is Art Blakey. Art Blakey gets on the stand with anybody's drum set. If you're an F... G, B flat, E flat. The drums sound like they're in that key. So it's a way that your ear and your familiarity with the kit that you're working with and the symbols and all that seem to serve, you just go right to it. You just go right to it. But of course, these are seasoned people who have been dealing with it quite some time. And also, The fact that many of the musicians who can do that, drummers who do that, are are excellent musicians. Art Blakey was originally a pianist, as I was. find Elvin Jones is a good guitar player, you find. And Tony Williams, and people like that, they write and perform, and they do things. They're composers as well. And so they almost hear inside it. But most drummers do it anyway. I hear drummers, and they write there. And instrument allows it. You know, the, the drum set perhaps is the only uh, I, I would say the drum set is the only instrument that came out of the United States of America's experience instrumentally, that grew out of that it's, hmm. the, only, it's the only one that, that if you, if you, when you look at percussion across the board, across the world Africa, Europe, the Middle East, the Far East South America, drummers don't play with their feet you see, the drummer, the United States of America, I say USA drummer, because, of course, there's a whole South American and Mexican-American uh, area of playing the instruments, percussion instruments. Well, we are like one-man percussion ensembles. And, it's, and, it, and that instrument is really homegrown USA, the uh, the drum set itself. Trumpets and saxophones and violins and pianos and and um, all the other instruments come out of another part of the world, but mm-hmm. that that instrument really is a USA instrument. It's probably the only original instrument that came out of the USA's experience. You know, the
9: mm-hmm. gathering of the various elements. Uh, some yeah. came out of the parade, some came out of uh, the necessity to get a little backbeat going on a saxophone or whatever. Right, right. assemblages kind
10: this. of evolved, and then of course the the, the uh, the sociological, just the makeup of the people here, you know, we use symbols which is the Swiss, Middle Eastern. Yeah. We use uh, floor tom-toms and aerial tom-toms that come, that resemble, or were created to resemble tom-toms in Africa and also from the American Indian. Mm-hmm. And of course you have snares and bass drums that come out of the European experience mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff, you know, so. So when you put it all together, and then then we're dealing, so okay, now that wasn't enough, all right, because when you look at a a symphony orchestra, you see maybe four or five people in a percussion ensemble who serve to play the lower parts of the instrument and all the other things, triangles and cymbals and these things. You look at the African percussion ensembles, they have uh, the uh, Daddy, Mama, and quinto, and, uh, smaller drums, and you have four or five players and wonderful drum ensembles there as well. But here, the drummer is one-man band, so to speak.
9: Your mentioning of uh, the drummer using his feet brings to mind the influence of, of dancing on jazz right. drumming. Mm-hmm. And I've <laughs> heard from various sources that there's a, a cross-pollination that went on at one particular time that led to some of the stylistic elements of bebop drumming from uh, jazz dancing.
10: Well, you're absolutely right. Um, in fact, the earlier drummers like Papa Joe Jones, Buddy Rich, these guys were tap dancers. They are tap and good tap dancers. Philly Joe's a good tap dancer. I do a little rattling roll. You you almost you had to you had to deal with it, and it was good for your feet and dealing with all the other things. But suddenly J.C. heard these people were dancers and then drummers. Or dancers as well as drummers, and great dancers. They could they danced on theater on the circuit, you know, and the the, uh, variety shows that we had. You know, like uh, we the 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 four stroke roughs, You know, delia that delia that delia that. All those kind of things. They are things that tap dancers use. Uh, The the sound of the paradiddle, the double paradiddle, and the triple paradiddle, which sounds just as it sounds like. Paradiddle, paradiddle, well that also the feet do that the the double paradiddle, triple paradiddle, and cramps were were like uh roughs, you know, when they say And of course, when I was growing up during the forties, there was a lot of theater, and this is all over the country, of course. And 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 uh, they had a variety of shows, so you you not only played with the band, but you also played with dancers, and you uh, played with singers, and you had to play for the chorus girls and all this, all these things. So dancing, tap dancing, was a headliner, especially when Bill Bojangles Robinson was alive. Well, tap dancers would sometimes hit a show. If, if if Bill Robinson was on a show with Duke Ellington, he'd get top billing. So the dancer, so dance was big, it was mm-hmm. like a pop singer, and uh, so dancers were always on the streets. You could go on the street corner, and you'd find dancers, of all persuasions, just rattling and rattling and rattling, Groundhog, Baby Lawrence. The drummers and dancers would do duets. We'd play duets together, where they would do some unbelievable things, and and uh, we would try to imitate or catch them, or they would try to catch or imitate some of the things that we were doing. So
9: It's a wonderful example of how the rhythm is kind of a universal feeling, and it's carried in different parts of the body. I mean, it might come up from the feet and be carried in the hands on the Absolutely, drums and yeah. go back to the feet, yeah. but the rhythm is there. The rhythm exists.
10: It always exists. So what we started doing was, all right, then you have the snare. If you had, say, a four-stroke ruff, which sounded like on the snare, like da-da-da-da, da Tap dance but see, bop-a-da-bop, bop-a-da-bop, bop-a-da-bop. now we had all four limbs, so we had the bass drum yeah. and uh, snare drum and, uh, and and side drums called tom toms. So we say boobleum, So now we, so we had all kinds of ways of doing it, and the dancers were kind of cock their ear at us. But most of these folks are just uh, wonderful. When you listen to say a solo by people like uh, Papa Joe Jones or Buddy Rich, for example, you hear a lot of dance steps. Because they are dancers, good dancers, that is.
9: And we should point out that the, the tradition is very much alive today. A modern drummer, Steve Gadd, started right. out as a tap dancer.
10: Yeah, so there you go. And it's there still alive. Go. Still, still alive, yeah.
9: The discussion of the orchestral use of the drums leads me to a composition written and arranged by trumpet player Cecil Bridgewater. Interesting from a lot of points of view, but certainly the way the drums... And the string quartet interact, I think, is uh, revolutionary in some ways. The song "Bird Says," from the album, "Max Roach, Double Quartet." You don't often hear strings phrased with that kind of an attack.
10: Well, the, I, 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 for me, you know, <clears throat> it had always been um, a desire of mine to do something with drums and strings, the trap set and strings, that is. On "Bird Says," what we would do, what we did was a tribute to Charlie Parker, of course, and to get the strings which to my knowledge had not been done before, to get them to play those uh, intricate and unique phrases of Charlie Parker's. And the song is based, of course, on a Charlie Parker uh, harmonic theme, confirmation itself.
3: Mm-hmm.
10: So uh, what Cecil did was to take quotes from Bird and deal with it with the string ensemble. Now, strings had never excepting, I guess, the earlier string players, Stuff Smith and, and Eddie South, they approached jazz playing more like the horns of the day they did. But the string players, mostly, it's always been kind of a legato instrument. It was either legato or staccato putting together. But jazz is unique in that nothing is ever that is never on it that much. Things are always legato and staccato like do da do 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 that you know that's a funny feeling altogether so it's not like ta that 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 or da it's 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 all of this combined it's using the same thing you know it's like blues is both major and minor it's never this never that it's never this or that it's usually a combination of, of everything together to create some kind of feeling It was a breakthrough to hear a string quartet phrased like that, and I knew it could, even though uh, the string players, organized by my daughter, Maxine the violist, Mm -hmm. the the violist in the quartet, I knew that these kids who grew up, even though they studied at places like uh, Oberlin and Julian, and they were well-versed with the classics, they could do it because Every day in their lives, they've heard the Charlie Parkers and the Louis Armstrongs, and they hear all the contemporary music as well, these young people do. So it was a matter of them singing the phrases. We would have them sing a Charlie Parker lick, and then figure out the way it should be fingered on the instrument. Because there's nowhere in in the string literature... Where they have ba 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 do ba do ba da do 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 you do, do you don't have that in string literature, so they had to create a way of fingering it and bowing it, which they did.
9: It's a wonderful example of the oral tradition in the music, the the importance of the human voice and the, the importance of rhythm informing the oral tradition it's not just vocalized tone but it's vocalized tone that comes from a rhythmic attitude being translated all the way to the bastion of the classical western tradition and get these string players to play with some jazz feeling historically i look back on your work and you're very much a group person somebody who gets a family relationship going with musicians and uses that relationship it's not unlike the great duets that elvin and, and john coltrane were to play thank you And I was struck by that's really possible after years of playing together, isn't it? Mm
10: -hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. I've heard that same well, uh, that attitude when you when you talked about Elvin and John. I've heard that, and I've heard that with Charlie Park and Dizzy. And I've heard it also with uh, Sidney Bechet and Louis Louis Armstrong and Sidney Bechet and and uh, Baby Dodds and that group. But it does come from working together. But the groups, you know, the wonderful thing about the music is that it's based on the personalities in the group for example when clifford brown and richard were killed in that un- that awful uh, uh automobile accident then we had to find i said well now people who knew about this group they knew that uh, okay if we, we if, if we hire or if we book max roach we expect him to some of the things that he did with with uh, clifford and so forth well, it was impossible to do because there was only one Clifford, see? So therefore, you had to find a trumpet player and find a repertoire that was not that for me. It, was, it took me a while before I went back to that repertoire for many reasons, of course. You know... Uh, in the recording industry, you only survive if you come up with new product. You can't do what you did before anyway. You know, they'll tell you in a minute. Well, you'll, if they come back and say, well, what do you want to do, Max? Well, I want to record Daoud and mm. Joy Spring and all the wonderful things we did with Brownie. They say, well, you've already recorded that. You have to come up with something new. Now, how you can, some one of the ways of doing that, of course, is to change your personnel and to try to find people who do not sound as the people who were with you mm. prior to that period, see, and in the case of Brownie, say, you will never find another Brownie or Richard Powell as well. So what, we, so what I looked for was, say, people like a Kenny Durham. It's different.
9: You've led me wonderfully to the album Max Roach Standard Time on the MRC Jazz Series label. It was recorded October 12, 1956. The name of the song is Mr. X. It features Kenny Durham on trumpet, Sonny Rollins' tenor.
10: Actually, Mr. X was dedicated to Malcolm he was very young at that time, and just he about to get on I the scene. Introduce. Yeah, yeah, just about coming out on the scene. Very few people knew, but we knew him. Mean, we knew how dynamic he was, you know, yeah. and how much of a wonderful human being he was. And he saw, at that young age, all the things that we saw that was happening to people, to black folks around the United States of America the racism that had been existing for years and so we would hear him talk for so the piece is really dedicated to to young Malcolm, Mr. X.
9: Let's speak for a moment in in terms of the economic exploitation not just of black musicians but of all musicians yes. in the process of reissued records. There, there's some element of that that people don't talk about. There's a wonderful aspect that it makes great music available for right. a long period of time and I particularly like the fact that a record that meant a lot 20 or 30 years ago means even more
10: today. Not yeah. just as much, but even more. I understand. But there's a dark side of it, isn't there, there? There is, yeah. But firstly, you know, musicians, and this is unfortunate, any musicians who deals in the world of jazz is always it's always tough. It's rough. It's rough gen- just the music for the artists in generally. But when we deal with, the mus- with music, say... Jazz has to fight to get on the radio, on the airways. If it weren't for people like you, we'd be, be dead city for us. But the pops, you know, it's it's you know, it's like fast food. You know, get these young artists, put them on, make a hit record, get the next one, get the next one. You know, it's like that. Put the music, which jazz is something that, as you said, could twenty years from now you can reissue. Now that's good. Educationally, it gives it gives a a, a new audience to what we were have been about and what. Things and, and what things are about, but the people who suffer are the side men on these dates. You know, the the leader doesn't get a new fee, but if he's a composer, of course he makes it. Yes, he the leader gets artist royalties, yes. but the men who help make that record. And as I said earlier, jazz is a democratic form, and everybody. You know, usually when when we are booked on concerts in Europe and every place else, they want to know who your personnel is. Mm-hmm. They say, okay, I've got. Uh, I've got Jerry Morgan, but who's playing with him? Mm-hmm. I've got Max Roach, but who's in the band? I have Dizzy, who's in the band? My who's with Miles now? Or this and that and the other. This is the way they, they buy according to who the drummer and everybody else is in the band because this is the way the music is.
9: And music uh, is totally different with a different band. It is right. Different
10: music. See, so that's what it is. So then, when you listen to these great records, say the records that we made with Charlie Parker that are being reissued, you know, we got paid minimally then in those days. You yes. know, he, it was it was a period when when there was a record band on You know, the early stuff that we did with Charlie Parker, if it hadn't been for the, for the bodaciousness, I guess you might say, of uh, the producers at that time, and we as musicians, we'd have never made those records, because we, we had to clandestinely sneak into studios and out of studios after hours, because the union was checking on all the recording studios. Mm-hmm. At that time, the union was... The, the, the musicians' union was afraid that the recording industry was going to hurt live music. Mm-hmm. And it was patronized live music in the 40s. And across the in England, Canada, all over the world, the International Musicians' Union put a ban on recording. And so we recorded anyway during that period because that was one way that we could uh, augment our income, you see. And now we, li- we listen to these records and they become classics. The union doesn't say anything because, of course, you do still pay what they call... Union dues for each one of these sessions, mm-hmm. but the tragedy of it today is the record companies The costs are minimal. They don't have studio costs. They don't have musicians costs. They don't have arranging costs They don't have art costs for the cover, etc. etc. and uh, So they come right from the very beginning from the top. They're making a comp- It's all gravy so my thing is, I think that the sidemen should be paid, and a lot of the stuff that's coming out now today. Of course, I was a sideman with mm-hmm. Charlie Parker and and with Coleman Hawkins and those wonderful people that I had a chance to work with.
9: We should point out also a lot of these records were made before the time when musicians got royalties as such.
10: So that's that true, too, yeah.
9: musicians uh, at various times had. Uh, Received a couple of hundred dollars for the session. that was the end of it by contract. There was nothing that led further down the road to anything.
10: yeah, well, if you were a writer, sometimes you sold your rights and, and you might sell Charlie the composition Parker. as well. That's yeah, you right. will in case of Charlie Parker sold a lot of his his material to different record different publishing houses Bud Powell even Duke, a lot of people got caught in that.
9: You mentioned the importance of the members of the group in terms of what people get when they get something. One of the most Interesting group that's been on the scene, I guess, for over a decade now is your percussion ensemble, Um Boom, Max Roach, Concert Snare, Warren Smith, Vibraphone, Eli Fountain, Bass Drum, Fred King, Timpani, Ray Mantilla, kungas. Joe Chambers, Bass Marimba, Freddie Waits, Shaker, what a group, Roy Brooks, Musical Saw, I love it, Kenyatta, Abdul Rahman, Multiple Percussion.
10: You know, we formed Umboom Boom was kind of like a... Uh, it grew out of the fact that drummers were always... We were the second line. The front line was the front line. So here all these great drummers, they all work. You know, all of, all these guys can write. Roy Brooks is a fine composer. Joe Chambers is a great orchestrator, composer. Warren Smith, Fred King. A lot of piano players. Freddie Waits, piano players. You know, wonderful. So we decided to get together for them. We said, you know, the percussion percussion the, the total percussion family from from bells down to uh bass marimbas and timpani they, they 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 have the entire musical spectrum there melodically, harmonically and everything so we decided to just and this is the old hat of course mm-hmm. when you deal with it because there have been percussion ensembles from the beginning of time I would imagine but we decided to form one that would that we felt would best express the feeling we have in America USA that is and and design it and with with what we what we all are about jazz Bird and and Duke Ellington as an ensemble that had that had written aspects involved with it, a lot of improvisational aspects and just input democratic input from everybody so I'll I'll bring in a theme like like uh, street dance mm-hmm. and I'll say okay uh, Brooks you saw on this and uh, Kenyate you play traps and you this and that and everybody says okay and everybody hears the flavor of the piece and goes right into it you know you direct just the flavor each piece is like that so some of it's written and a large part of it is just okay you know what the character of the piece is it's a street dance and it's a march so get into it like that but we really formed it as an answer to so now we had all these wonderful percussionists whom people know as drummers the street as, as jazz drummers, but they know they all also play mallet instruments and timpani mm-hmm. and all these other wonderful instruments that belong to the percussion family.
9: You mentioned the sound of the record, of the Um Boom record, leads me to a, a discussion of contemporary drums, which include lind drums and electronic drums, and these are drums that are plugged from a microchip into a tape recorder, mm-hmm. and yet it's the reality today, and it's the other end of the spectrum from something like this, but we are all dealing with it, and I, I read somewhere that you are dealing with Lind drums as well.
10: Yes, I've had a chance to to do something with the with the Linn, and it was at a rap experimental rap thing in a theater here in New York.
9: And the Lind drum is part of the new arsenal of electronic technology yes. that initially threatened a lot of jazz players. Right, but more and more, I think players are seeing it as a tool that you can use.
10: It frees you. I think it it helps to free you to do other things.
9: Mm-hmm. It'll put the pulse down for you. The pulse won't breathe, however.
10: It won't breathe, no. But you, you can, you can use it for effects, and it can work, you know. Because then you breathe, you mm-hmm. know. It's like okay, having a rhythm section. Because I found it's a funny thing. I found that many times the drummer was just required to keep time,
3: mm-hmm.
10: you know, bang. So now they developed it to the extent where you can almost make it uh, the drummer sound just a wee bit ahead, ahead of the beat, like. Billy yes, Joe. yes. Or if you can make it lag like a Bohena, or you could, you know, like a Blakey. Or you could, Jim. you know, you could almost program these sounds in it where it does sound elastic. It won't breathe, but it can sound, it can wave. It almost sounds, so you use it like that. And, of course, they're using it in the studios. And the threat to, of course, percussion players is so they have to learn how to deal with that instrument. Yes,
9: One of my favorite stories from Ralph Ellison, is about a trip he once took to Africa many years ago. And he describes a situation where there's a gasoline engine running and it's backfiring and popping. And uh, the, the tribe in the village was dancing to the gasoline engine.
10: A bit, Backfire.
9: Yeah. Machinery can be musical. Yeah,
10: I know uh, uh, when I was traveling back and forth from Brooklyn to Manhattan School of Music and riding the subways, a lot of ideas come out of the way those just rattles up those wheels and those trains. I mean, it's unbelievable the rhythms that that train, the subway creates. When, you, when you're interested in percussion, you know, I'd sit down and close my eyes and just swoon, <laughs> so to speak. You know.
9: Today, the music that you're playing has achieved a timeless quality. It's covering the history, and yet it doesn't require all the orchestration of the past mm-hmm. to be effective.
10: A drummer has to be able to play, say, the way I grew up in New York City, from bar mitzvahs to marching bands to to traditional New Orleans Dixieland. This is where you know you have to be prepared to deal with any kind, with any kind of situation. Play timpani in, the, in in the local symphony orchestra at uh, at the Brooklyn Museum, uh, just everything. So you're prepared. You you're not just confined to do this or the, or play. I played with Louis Jordan, and that was a shuffle king at that time. And, I mean, mm-hmm. you have to tell your left. And I played, come back the next night and played with Bird and Diz. So when you say the variety of things that happen, you know, if, if you come out of the rhythm section, you are exposed to all kinds of things, whereas you may not be, if you say, I'm a, a soloist and a specialist, you may not be privy to all the other little things that would uh um, give you the kind of scope that say, okay, so I'll have an unborn percussion ensemble. I'll try something with string quartet. It's
9: kind of the good news for drummers out there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a wide open world. It
10: is. is It's really uncharted territory, so to speak.
1: Welcome back. And that was an extensive interview with legendary percussionist uh, Max Roach. This is uh, Black Music Month. We'll continue in our next episode uh, with this uh, programming for the rest of the month of June. And that's going to conclude our program uh, for today. You've been listening to the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Sunday, June 4th, 2023. Uh, We've been broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. If you'd like to have access to this program, go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire, Go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. We'll close out with the music of Max Roach and Abby Lincoln. We insist, freedom now.
6: Drive a man, he made a life. But the mammy ain't his wife. Chopping cotton, don't be slow. Better finish out your road Keep a moving with that plow. Driver man will show you how Get to work and root that thump Driver man will make you jump Better make your hammer ring Driver man will Start to swing. Ain't but two things on my mind. Drive a man and quitting time.